Welcome to the X Oil Field Resource Podcast with Reed Styles. I'm fascinated by people that took their experience in the oil and gas industry and successfully applied their specialties to other careers and industries. I'm interviewing X Oil Field professionals with the intention of sharing their stories to inspire career exploration. Today, I'm speaking with Alan Hersig. After graduating with his degree in energy management in 2011, Alan began working for ConocoPhillips as a landman first in Farmington, New Mexico, before moving to Houston, Texas. He started his own baking business, Bearded Baker, out of his kitchen in 2016. Alan continued delivering cookies out of his kitchen until 2020 when he opened his first brick and mortar store, The Bearded Baker, in the Heights neighborhood of Houston, Texas. Are you ready to get baked, Alan? Let's do it. <laughs> Thanks for being here, man. It's uh, We both went to the University of Tulsa together. And both worked at ConocoPhillips together. So we've had kind of this long history of uh, being in the same spheres. Maybe you could just kind of walk us through your upbringing and how you got into the oil and gas space. If you see me now, you probably wouldn't guess it, but I actually had a pretty normal upbringing. I grew up, uh, played soccer pretty competitively most of the time for my career. I mean, I played it all the way up until I was a senior in high school. And then once I went to college, I decided to give that up. But pretty normal growing up playing sports. Going to school, picked Tulsa mainly, I mean, in, in full honesty, because my brother looked at it before I did. So it was on the radar, and the admissions counselor was great. And she, as we went there, she's like, I think we have the perfect fit for you. You want to do something in business? And it has a little science application as well. And, I mean, you've heard the stories of the infamous Ted Jacobs as well, who is the director of energy management, who can sell anything to anybody. And... He talked me into it. It was a, I mean, a great sales pitch, an easy sales pitch of, hey, out of college, you want to start making upwards of six figures. And I mean, what kid wouldn't? So I decided, what the heck? Let's, let's see where this goes and decided to try out energy management, which was the, the opening class of energy management students for the University of Tulsa. And uh, eventually got an internship out of my freshman year with Conco Phillips in Bartlesville and then went to... Farmington that next summer, and then Midland the summer after that. And then after that, it's kind of what you said, started full-time with Conoco Phillips out in Farmington and eventually leading to Houston and then was laid off in Houston. And case case all here I am baking cookies for, for people. Well, man, there's no doubt been uh, some interesting twists and turns to your career story. And uh, you were the, I'd say you're the true baking hobbyist that became a professional but upon deeper inspection into your story, I know you've done a lot of interviews now. Uh, it doesn't sound like you were a big baker on the side. It sounds like it was more of something you picked up after the oil field. So can you walk us through the end of your oil field career and then how you transitioned into baking? Absolutely. Uh, it's actually, like you said, I, I didn't grow up baking or my family doesn't have any baking ties in the past. Uh, the most intricate things we would do growing up in high school was getting those tubes of Pillsbury dough, rolling those out and and using the those kind of chalky tubes of neon red and green and yellow icings to, to decorate cookies. Uh, the way I got into the kind of more ambitious decoration of cookies was actually after I got laid off from Conoco. I was in Houston in a, in a house that I just bought with very few ties to Houston. So, I mean, obviously they give us a severance package and a lot of the time I spent when I was looking and applying for work and jobs and with a degree that's extremely specialized and in an environment that isn't hiring, I would watch Food Network, I would look at food blogs, I would try homemade recipes and homemade doughs and pastas and meals and 
desserts and the decoration cookies kind of worked out and it kind of filled my artistic niche as well. And eventually with some assistance and motivation from my mom, I actually decided to start the brand, start the logo, uh, get the logo and get an Instagram and start trying to sell these things. And um, it's, it's been a, it's been a ride. It's been fun. I mean, it's one of those things where growing up, you don't really know what you want to do. It's kind of what you think you know what you want to do. And once I was laid off from Conco Phillips and started working for myself and getting that fulfillment and satisfaction in a way that isn't just monetary, it made me realize that with enough passion, you can really build something amazing. And I've kind of taken that. I've never let people tell me no and made it here so far. So it's it's an interesting ride, that's for sure. Definitely not typical and I definitely didn't have a, a big baking background. So just to try to make it work with whatever things that I can, honestly. This podcast came about just because of COVID and, you know, my own energy transition and, and just knowing of your transition and a few other people that inspire me. So I was really excited to get you on the podcast, but I wanted to wait until we had your store up and running and right. and you were able to actually talk about the product and, and people could come by and buy it because I was actually a little bit a part of your early scene in that I ordered cookies from you when back when you just kind of like I saw them on I saw you on Facebook posting about them and I thought man these are awesome so I got to tell a quick story so your your big first hit product were and probably still are are sugar cookies that are just neatly shaped they're amazingly frosted and they're delicious and uh, your big thing was customizing them to pretty much anything. So I ordered my now fiance, who was my girlfriend at the time. This was our first Valentine's Day together. And I ordered her uh, custom dog cookies. They look exactly like her chihuahua, who's, of course, her number one priority, number one love. I'm, I'm number two. <laughs> That's all right. And uh, I sent you a picture of them, and they turned out perfect. You had, like, the wagging tail, the tongue, like, the action. And I'm a little embarrassed, but we still have it in our refrigerator four years later. <laughs> so if you ever need to know, there's, it, it's, they, they are preservable. So, you know, ever since then, I've just been following your journey. So I kind of maybe you could talk about how did you find that first hit product? How did you I mean, it just seems like you went all in and tried to do something so complex. Like why the custom cookies and kind of what have you learned from that that product? Absolutely. And first of all, uh, that story makes you really happy. And second of all, don't feel like you're an insane person because I've had other people tell me the exact same things. And uh, I actually had one person <laughs> say that they didn't want to waste the cookie. So they scraped the icing off and just ate the bottom of the cookie. So there's there's been other people. So you're not alone. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> we, we we had four of them. Now we're down to just one. So that's, <laughs> that, that was our compromise. I don't recommend you eating that one anymore. You might might want to just frame that and keep it in the fridge. Uh, but to answer your question, like I kind of said earlier, it it filled this artistic niche. And with these orders, I I especially knew that people were coming. To me, I mean, eventually I had to find what my brand was, let's say, which turned out to be these really intricate, highly detailed sugar cookies. But as I was growing and learning what my brand was, what my style was, I, I knew people were coming to me because these events that they were having were very special to them. They weren't a, for lack of a better term, cookie cutter or out of the box event. And no, nobody's event ever is. Uh, and I wanted to put the heart and emotion into these sets as much as I could to really bring out that emotion that the other person is trying to convey in these orders for their, their friends or families or colleagues. And that's why I spend so much time on these. That's why they're so elaborate and intricate. And I mean, if, if, if you're wanting just to get that kind of out of the box, box store style, you absolutely can. But if you really want to show somebody that 
there's some love involved in these. And I, I love all the stories that I get alongside these. I mean, the perfect example is, is your story with your now fiance. But I get stories of people wanting to thank vets for helping save their dogs. I get kidney transplant anniversaries. And I get just amazing custom birthday orders that have all these different inside jokes that people get to do. And there's something very special about that. And it's something very that I hold in high regard that they trust me with these things. Finding my brand, finding out exactly what people are wanting to convey is very important to me. And I put a lot of time and effort into those. And in, at the, in the end, people realize that. And it's, um, it's been fun watching all the celebrations along the way. So honestly, and another big thing of my career getting to where I am is kind of never telling anybody no. If people come to me with an idea and say, hey, can you do this? 99% of the time, I can figure out a way to do it, and I have fun with it. And another thing is never letting anybody tell me that I can't or trying to stop me. And there's been a few people that say, maybe you should try going a different path in your career. You'll make more money. You'll be happier. You'll be less stressed. And honestly, if I would have listened to them, maybe that would be true, but I also wouldn't be as happy or fulfilled. So that's that's kind of my journey to the brand. and the specialized cookies that I've, I've come to be known for, for lack of a better phrase. I did a little research before this because I was looking for your episode where you actually got some true like silver screen TV time. So can you kind of walk? <laughs> and, and I also remember back in the day, there were a lot of like country groups that were making you were. So you're kind of right. meeting some people in the production space or in the entertainment space. Yeah. So how did you how did you move from? person that didn't have an Instagram following probably probably wasn't doing a lot of social media to someone that was really leveraging social media and, and getting into more entertainment type stuff. Maybe you can walk us through that. Absolutely. Um, it, it, which is funny because yes, my first Instagram account ever was the bearded baker. My first <laughs> pictures on social media, I, which I still have my very first sets that I did on my bearded baker page are the first cookies that I did. And, um, I didn't really know what to do social media wise. Um, uh, besides, I mean, obviously everybody is social media world. You want to have pretty things to look at and the cookies that I eventually was putting out there were, were pretty fun and intricate and different. People liked them. And uh, one thing that I eventually got into was kind of merging two of my passions, which are Texas country music and cookies. And so I was friends with a couple bands and a couple band members. And whenever they would come to town or be nearby, I'd just bake up a set of cookies that was based on their band or their lyrics or their merch or a whole conglomeration of things and make a set for them and take it to their shows and show it to them and got some pretty good praise from them and they would share on their social media and people would start following me that way. It, it was more of a passion project, but the, the added benefit of that was an extra exposure as well. So like uh, the big one that people would be most likely recognize is Randy Rogers band. I took cookies to them one time and they posted and shared it on their Instagram. And also their uh, bass player, his wife eventually started ordering cookies from me and for her family in Houston and, and things like that. And I've had some cool experiences getting to make sets for, like, let's say, John Wolf. He has a music festival out in Corpus. I got to do sets for him and his green room with all these other bands. He eventually launched a tequila brand called Juan Lobo Tequila which are actually some, still some of my favorite cookies that I've ever done. They're probably some of the most beautiful and cool logo-wise that I've done. So I got to do this for his tequila launch. Just really cool experiences that come just from kind of sticking your neck out there. There were some times where I took these cookies and I had to kind of elbow my way past security and them letting me the no food rule 
but once they see the cookies, they're usually like, okay, let's see what we can do. And they get these cookies up to these people. Um, as, as for the Food Network stuff, the best part of my brand is I'm a male cookie baker. And that's very appealing to people trying to put on shows and get different styles of people. So honestly, I didn't have to do much when it comes to like going out and acquiring casting agents' attention. They usually came to me and... Um, I interviewed the first year and didn't make it past the first interview. Then the second year, they called me again and did a little bit better. And they eventually told me to, to come on out to L.A. and film an episode of the season. And went out there, tried my best, did pretty well, didn't end up winning. But the experience was great. The exposure was great. Getting to meet all the judges was phenomenal and a lot of fun. So in the long run, just really good experiences. And social media-wise, my best advice is just find something you're passionate about that and put it out with the passion behind it. I won't post anything that I'm not super thrilled with or happy with or that I wouldn't like to see or that I don't think is, is beautiful or fun or intriguing. And if you're really wanting to build a business, people really can see, in my opinion, how much passion and love goes into even just the easiest of posts. So having a lot of fun and thought and passion is, is important. Besides just getting pretty pictures or, or finding intriguing Instagram-worthy things. I remember in the early days, you were posting some photos on Facebook and I kept saying, man, you got to post more of these. They're so cool. Like, <laughs> I, I just like personally seeing them and clicking like on them. Yeah, absolutely. Your Instagram, the Bearded Baker TX is a good spot to come to check out a lot of those photos, man. There's so I appreciate cool. that. Thank you. You uh, you said a, several key words there. I heard the word passion, and then I heard the combination of your interests, and then I can tell that you're really focused on baking, specifically cookies or small cakes, and then you're very focused on the Bearded Baker brand. How do you become so focused, and how did you know that this was your passion? Is do you have any quick tips? kind of clicked for you? Because I think for me personally, that's something I struggle with every day. I have a lot of passions, but I, I don't focus as strongly on just one thing. I think once I realized it was a passion was when I started dreaming about it. It sounds stupid, but I would dream about these orders that I had and techniques that I could use and things that I wanted to do. And I was like, wow, I've never felt this way before, really, especially with, with my office job. Uh, not saying that it can't happen with office jobs, it just wasn't my thing. And once I figured out that I can have fun doing something that I don't make a ton of money with, one of my favorite anecdotes she uses of, I'm working a hundred times more and probably making a hundred times less, but I'm way happier doing this than, than I was sitting at a computer and doing things that I was never excited to wake up and do. And now I have that job where I am excited to wake up and do this job. And the whole uh, do what you love and you have a good work a day in your life is, is a, no offense, a, a terrible statement. Because <laughs> I think once you find the thing you love, you're going to work harder than you've ever worked in your life. So once you find that, I think that's when you know that it's something that you're willing to work for. It's something that you're willing to sacrifice for. And you just got to keep pushing at it. Some days are going to be bad. Some days are going to be good. Some days you're going to want to quit. Some days everything's going to be frustrating. But if you can push through those days and find things that you can still learn from, I think that's the most important thing. Just always give yourself a little bit of wiggle room and, and just continuing and pushing and persevering, even when people are telling you that you're stupid or that's not going to work or anything. So, and, and just make it your own. Be passionate about it. That's that's my biggest advice is I don't care if you're passionate about cloud watching or bugs or, or spreadsheets. If, if you can love it and you're interested in it and you can sell that, hell, I'll buy it. You know, people are doing a lot of soul searching right now. If they're not already deep into the soul search, it could be coming. You know, who knows what's going to happen right. in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing that they could really take away, I mean, to my knowledge, you weren't really necessarily an entrepreneurial person. Like it wasn't like this was your goal was to 
become a small business owner and then expand from there. And, and I remember when you when I first ordered some cookies from you and I asked how long these took because there's a little bit of sticker shock with the cookies, but then you have to realize, oh my God, they probably took forever to make custom. So how did how did you get your first sales and how did you learn about pricing? Like, can you walk us through like becoming that person that sells their passion to someone else? Absolutely. And that's actually a really good story and, and something that I like to try and tell as many entrepreneurs or creative people trying to sell, let's say, art or creations. Um, because I, I started and see, I sold pretty much anything I was doing for $35 a dozen, which I'm like, all right, $3 a cookie, just about I'll be nice and take it off, take off a dollar for to make it even. And then as things started to get more complex and my first sales came from family, friends, friends of friends. And eventually once I started posting more and people started referring me more because I mean, people think decorated sugar cookie, first of all, they think it's going to be one of those ones you get out of like normal bakeries or the big grocery stores where they're chalky and hard and the icing disintegrates, but I put a lot of pride into the fact that our cookies are really soft and moist and the icing stays fresh and they actually taste good. So that in and of itself is important and takes a lot of time and heart as well. But the actual decoration could take, I mean, there's some orders that I've worked on that have been extremely detail oriented that have, let's say for two dozen, I've worked just on a final decor 12 to 16 hours, uh, just on a final decoration uh, with all the different intricacies of piping and hand painting and repiping and doing gold lettering and things like that. So it takes a lot of time. Um, and then eventually, once all that stuff started taking off and started taking me more and more time to do these orders, and I started getting more orders on my plate, I started realizing $35 isn't, I'm not charging enough. And actually, I'm going to name drop my mom again, because she said, you need to think about this and you need to think of your value, what your time is worth. And that was a big eye opening thing. And after that, I raised my prices, which was horrifying. But one of the most rewarding things was people still came back. People were accepting of it. People saw the amount of time I took and the, the level of intricacy and detail that I put into these orders. And they were still willing to pay. And it's important because you will burn out if you are underselling yourself through your goods because you're gonna get frustrated. You're gonna think that you're not valuable and your value is only as much as, let's say these box stores. If you're doing something that is better and you think it is, and you think that you're not being compensated for the amount of work you're putting in, I mean, you gotta take a step back, look at it and see, is this right? And can I try increasing my prices and seeing how people react? And I guarantee you, you will probably come out the other side having a whole new appreciation for yourself and your business because that's what happened to me. And I've raised prices so far twice and people are still wanting all these cookies. And the, the funny part is, is I think I just keep putting more and more detail into these. So they're still taking just as long, if not longer. <laughs> I, I'm obviously finding efficiencies here and there, but I, I just keep learning and wanting to try new things and do different things. And I still want, no matter how many orders I get, I want every single order to go out that I'm happy with, that I know the customer will be happy with. So I'm just loving it. I'm, I'm having a great time. So like I said, it, it's a weird thing being an entrepreneur and making almost all the decisions your own, but have confidence and have faith in yourself and your business. And that's, that's my best advice. And just know your, your, the value of yourself. Man, so many great nuggets in that to take away. If I remember correctly, I paid about $10 a cookie when I got them, maybe $5. <laughs> yeah, I remember I remember thinking maybe it was 12 for 120 plus maybe a little bit extra fees, but I remember thinking, wow, these are expensive cookies, but then, you know, once I gave them to my girlfriend at the time and she started crying because she, you know, thought they were so amazing and still talks about how amazing they are. I was like, "Oh, that was that was the cheapest set of cookies I've ever bought." <laughs> 
So, well, you know, I, I appreciate it's... that. Those are the stories I love to hear. You did a couple really cool orders. Like I remember like some school, it was basically like the letters of colleges and it had intern names on it. So it'd be like, OU or it'd be like T.U. Reed or T.U. Right. Allen or something. And those, I mean, I'm sure those took forever and it was super repetitive. So I could just imagine how you could get so burned out if you're looking at that cookie and thinking, I spent an hour on this and I'm getting $3 for it, whatever your original pricing was. So that's great. I mean, thanks for sharing, man. That's a lot of nuggets. Take us through, because I think we've, I think we've really talked about some great things here, but there's that moving from hobbyist to pro and opening up your own store. I mean, those are, you know, making cookies out of your kitchen doesn't seem like there are as many barriers to entry. But then when we're talking about buying a retail space, having employees, like having a commercial grade kitchen, you know, having people come in and out. So you have real working hours. Can you walk us through how did you, what told you like, Hey, this was the time to open a store and what were kind of your first steps to doing that in the process? So it was a, just kind of a idea of, of grandeur, basically. And um, like I had just filmed for Food Network. The show hadn't aired yet. And I was, I was talking with my girlfriend and she's been extremely supportive through this whole thing. And I couldn't have done it without her support through thick and thin. Uh, I think it's been more stressful on her than me, honestly. But she pushed me uh, towards the storefront. I mean, it's always been a dream of, of mine. And she pushed me and she helped me get in touch with the right people. and. We eventually started looking for places and found a good fit. And then there's, I'm not going to go on and on about the, the steps of opening a storefront, but I'm, I'm just going to warn you, if you haven't done it before, there are about a thousand times more steps than you eventually, than you initially think going into it. Because all you think of are kind of the sexy parts, like the architecture plans and the construction and the grand opening. And what you don't think about where you need wall outlets and what kind of equipment you need and how taxes work and scheduling your employees and oh wait actually getting employees in the first place and then figuring out labeling and logos and then getting your gas set up but the gas can't be set up because the next door neighbors need their gas on at a certain time but that's the only time that people can come and just so many different things that you just have to get on the phone get some emails going figure it out have help um, ask questions be okay with being wrong or not knowing something i pretty much always started a conversation or a meeting with somebody new, like, I'm going to be for- forward with you. I don't know what the hell's going on. I don't know the questions. I don't know. Um, so if there's anything I'm not asking, if you could just come forward and tell me, like, look, you need to do this, this, and this. I'll do my best to do this, this, and this. So starting the storefront was was a journey. still is. I'm still learning a ton day in and day out of what we need, how to work with people, uh, employees, clients, customers, over the phone, business partners, doing business deals. So just a ton of different steps it's I'm, it wasn't the easiest or least stressful thing i've ever done in my life but it's, it's been worth it in the long run and uh, I'll, I'll sleep eventually yeah i mean there are just so many crazy stories i'm sure and i appreciate you trying to hit the high points you know luckily your business I, i've been there a couple times now it's a carry out business so i don't feel like you're as impacted by the virus that's going around and all this stuff and i don't want to make this this episode too dated by talking about that since, you know, in a couple of years from now, hopefully it will, won't be as big of a deal. I mean, I'm thinking that when you were going through the contract negotiation for your lease, you may have had some exposure from Landman. But are there any other transferable skills from your time as a Landman that helped you out today? Yes, there were some traits and skills that I absolutely carried over from my Landman days. We uh, obviously need legal advice when we're signing our lease. So I got an attorney, but I also was very thoughtful when I read through the lease the first time and making changes and negotiations with the with the landlord and the owner. So that was a big thing that helped me from my oil and gas days. And I mean, just 
another big one that I think transfers is just how to treat people um, in a working situation. I, I've never been like, let's say the quote unquote, quote unquote boss before, but just observing how my supervisors in uh, management treated people, I'm doing my best to treat my employees the same and just <laughs> trying to stay as organized as possible with a million things running through my head. But um, also, I mean, probably one of the, I mean, let's, let's be honest, probably one of the biggest takeaways from oil and gas, which isn't necessarily from the job itself, or just the connections and the networking, because I still get, I, I mean, you included, there's been dozens of people that I knew at ConocoPhillips or through my oil and gas days or from Tulsa that still order from me that, that are still stopping by the store, that are still saying, hey, that are supporting me. So just having those connections, not burning any bridges and just be welcoming to people that you might not have worked with before, been cordial with before, but there's so many people that want to support their friends and colleagues that are out putting their neck out there. And ConocoPhillips and my old employees and coworkers have been so amazing. And I I'm so thankful for their business as well, because that's what actually helped me get to where I am over the past four years, too. I've had multiple, multiple orders from old colleagues. So it's just, it's just been wonderful. And that's probably in relation to everything. That's my biggest takeaway from my work at ConocoPhillips and Oil and Gas, besides just being able to, to read a lease over and over and figure out tiny ways to get an edge on the other person. Yeah, I figured uh, with the commercial real estate space, you were... This was, you were like, okay, I finally have a ton of experience with this. I'm like, right. <laughs> exactly. like I've done this before. <laughs> you started this venture. You've obviously used a lot of people in your life. You've had a lot of great mentors or resources at your disposal. Can you give us maybe one or two examples of either books, online resources, maybe how you found a mentor that could help someone that, you know, is either looking for a career change or trying to do their own uh, business or their own side hustle? And I might not be the best person to ask because a lot of what I've done has just been self-taught more than anything. I've used a lot of other Instagram accounts and cookie decorators to find a motivation or example of work that I can try, tutorials on, on YouTube. and But I mean, a lot of it has just been me, like I said earlier, never saying no and trying to figure out ways that I can accomplish this thing that somebody else is requesting. So I don't have a good answer as a point to literature or specific people because I feel like my situation is a little different and I've come up through a different avenue, but it's all just mainly just been self-taught and ambition to learn and try and find new fun things that keep me entertained. So I wish I had a better answer for that one, but yeah, just mainly Instagram accounts and YouTube videos and, and, and me being stubborn with myself and not saying no to things. Basically you look for other people that are doing something similar. I mean, cookies are a very local product. I mean, at the end of the day, like if you're paying for a premium cookie, you want it to be super fresh. So right. I feel like that's, that's a great opportunity for you. I mean, you're competing with other people around the world technically, but not really in your business because it's got to be made locally. So that's, that's kind of a unique thing about your product where you can all kind of collaborate around the world. Right, exactly. Not necessarily compete. That's really neat. Yeah, and that's a great way to put it. And that's kind of another thing that about my, my business that I like to tell people. Uh, and it kind of goes back to your question about why would you pay more for this thing where you can get it somewhere else? The example I like to use is you can buy a Honda Civic. You can buy those anywhere. You can turn around the corner and go out to a Honda, a Honda dealership and, and find a, just a sedan. Or you can go out, you can get a Ferrari or a Cadillac, which is hard to get. But whenever you walk through those doors, you're going to get great customer service. You're going to have people that want to talk to you. You're going to want, they want to know your story, get exact, and they'll get, they'll get you exactly what you want. So that's kind of how I look at this brand and this business. It's not cheap. 
But at the end of the day, you're going to have a great product that fits exactly what you're looking for. And if I'm doing an order and I'm asking a question on my order form and I'm not exactly sure where this idea is coming from, I like to either ask the person who ordered, what is this idea? What, what is it all about? What's the story behind it? That way I can get exactly what they're looking for. So there's customer service from, from the start and the orders themselves are super high quality and you know exactly what you're going to get. People will be willing to travel for a higher quality product as well. I'll get clients that come down from Lake Conroe. I'll have people come up from Galveston. I have people that are willing to drive in from different areas of the Houston suburbs and to get these cookies specifically because they know the quality behind them. That's one of the nice things as well. It's a very humbling thing to know. Yeah, I mean, it's your products are special. I mean, down to the packaging, um, we got them for New Year's Eve. And you had like fireworks. And, oh, yeah. I mean, it was it was really special. Everyone at the small gathering got, got to see the brand and knew about it. And no one cared about my guacamole on the <laughs> side. Everyone wanted to talk about the cookies <laughs> and have it in the table. I would have been all about the guacamole. I'll tell you that. So we're kind of wrapping up. I had a couple questions left. I really appreciate your time, Alan. Let's let's hit some like quick ones. Yeah. What are some quick tips for improving your baking skills for a novice? So nothing business related. Just what are some things that you wish you had, you had known at the start about baking? Absolutely. So the, the biggest thing I would say to anybody is go to the grocery store, buy one of those little kitchen scales. I We measure almost everything out in, in grams here. And there's a lot of websites online that you can go to for conversions of cups to weight. And baking is a science. So you want to get it as precise as you can. So if you can get it down to the gram whenever you're working on something, get that scale out and it will help you immensely. I guarantee it. That's a great tip. Do you have any tips for cookie making or dessert making in general? As just a general tip for baking or cooking in general, always read the recipe through at least twice before you even start getting things out. Because that way you'll know, okay, I need to do this, but I need to save half of it for this. Or there's always nuances in the recipe. So always read the recipe all the way through before starting anything. As for making cookies or doughs, always be wary of how much they want you to make something. Some doughs or batters want the egg white whipped up for three to four minutes. And that's not just a idea it's usually pretty intent on how much they want it so you'll do it in that example for that amount of time or until the eggs look a certain way but also some doughs you don't want to overwork and you want to make it until it's just incorporated that's important that's a perfect tip because me personally i'm just like okay i need these three ingredients okay i got the idea i'm just going to knock it out right and and conveniently i'm not i mean i'm an okay cook but nothing (laughs) nothing of a professional quality so I love that tip of just don't just improv the recipe. Don't just improv. Especially, right. Especially with bacon because they can go from good to hard real quick, even with just an extra quarter teaspoon or quarter cup of of flour. So again, with the scale, that's always important. No, those are great tips. I appreciate it. I'm going to be, I'm going to have to knock out some baking of my own. So we've got, I've got just maybe one last question for you. Do you have any practical advice for someone going through a soul search kind of after a layoff or after a big event? I mean, maybe something quick that helped you or something really practical that helped you get through it and kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel? I would definitely say after layoffs, it's okay to have rejection. It's going to happen. You're not wanted by everybody, even though the past however many years you've been working, you've kind of been on the the forefront of everybody's thought. Once you're laid off, you might not be there. You might not be wanted. It's not your fault. It's not your problem. Uh, My biggest thing that I did that I think helped a lot was just finding a hobby, any hobby. Um, That could be going on walks. That could be baking or cooking. That could 
be anything. You need something that's going to take up the time because it will eat at you if you let it. And it does get stressful and it does get hard not knowing. And if you have that at least mindset, not mindset, but if, if you have that thing, that hobby, that motivation you have, that's kind of taking up some of the time, that will help a lot because I sent a ton of resumes and waited to, re to hear responses and didn't hear responses from 75% of them. And then the other 25% weren't good fits. So find something to keep your time occupied and don't get discouraged. This is the biggest thing. I think it's relatable. I went through the layoff process in 2016 and I can definitely relate to all that. And definitely the, an object in motion stays in motion a little easier exactly. than a stationary object. So I think that's great advice. I really appreciate your candor throughout the conversation. And hopefully some of the listeners will get a chance to try your your dessert, your uh, sugary creations. They're delicious. The Thank last you. time I went to your shop, I just asked you to just give me just a smorgasbord of, uh, of cookies. And I couldn't really decide which one I liked the best. The chocolate chip kind of tasted like the way my mom makes it. Awesome. And was, you know, I was like, oh, okay, this is familiar. Awesome. And, uh, no, I really enjoyed it. So where can how can people find you? I know we've alluded to a few different places and I'll make sure to include those in the show notes of the episode. But awesome. if someone wanted to get a hold of you, how, what's the best way? If you want to take a look at what we're what we're putting out, I think the best thing you can do is go to thebeardedbakertx.com or find you on Instagram or Facebook at thebeardedbakertx. Uh, if if you're looking for a custom order, you can. There's a custom order form on the website as well. But I think if if you're in the Houston area and you want to get in touch, I'd say just swing by, come try some stuff, and see the shop. We're really proud of it. We're having a lot of fun. We're putting out new flavors and new things all the time. So we're just excited to have people in and, and enjoying everything that we're putting out. Well, I certainly love the location. It's not far from my house in a cool neighborhood. Alan, thank you so much for your time today, man. I really enjoyed it. Of course. And I uh, can't wait for my next opportunity to buy cookies. Hey, I appreciate it, Reed. Thank you. Before we go, clearly I'm a fan of Alan's product, but also just him as a person. His story is fantastic. So make sure to check out the Bearded Baker TX on Instagram or the store in Houston. My name is Reed Styles. I can be found on LinkedIn. If you have a guest recommendation, I'd love to talk to them about their transition out of the oil and gas space. I can be emailed at read at xoilfield.com. I have a website, xoilfield.com, where you can find the show notes for this episode. Also, all of the things that we reference will be in the show notes of the podcast, so feel free to check there. And if you've got a second, give me a like or a five-star review on iTunes. It helps me a lot. It's a free way to help out the show. So thanks for tuning in.